The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. By reading from our text from uh, Colossians chapter 1, we're going to, uh, we finished Haggai, we're going to jump into the book of Colossians, and so it's exciting because it's a great book. Um, so uh, let's read this morning from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Colossians 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. All right, we're going to jump in and talk about Colossians in a minute, but first let me just uh, tease you with a a little um, tidbit. Uh, what if I told you uh, that developing one simple habit and practicing that habit daily could just change your life? Right? It's like a magic drug, a pill that you could do. If you could practice this habit, it would, it would change your life. Anybody interested in knowing what this is? Um, this habit or this practice, this is not something, it's just not my opinion, uh, not something some blogger wrote about or I saw on Facebook, but there's actually a growing scientific support and research supporting um, the benefits of this habit or this practice in daily life. Uh, statistics and research, research has shown that people who practice this daily habit are in general happier, more satisfied with their lives, less materialistic, and less likely to suffer from burnout. Are you interested? Anybody interested in this? Uh, some studies have found that practicing this can increase people's happiness and overall positive mood. Anybody interested? Nah, happiness, way overrated, right? Several studies have found, and this is, this is, a, like, this is scientific research, right? This is, uh, and there's growing studies that are proving this. Several studies have found that those who regularly practice this habit experience less depression, are more resilient following trauma, right? Um, other studies have suggested that this habit actually encourages the development of other virtues, such as patience, humility, and wisdom. Can you imagine practicing this one thing, and it could actually make you more humble and wise? Now, not that any of you need that, right? Because you're already all so humble and so wise. I know I am. <laughs> right. right. Uh, in fact, it's interesting, in recent years, studies have examined the potential benefits for even children and adolescents of practicing this habit. And it found that teens who practice this are more interested in their studies. Whoa! How is that possible? 
are more satisfied with their school lives, are more kind and helpful, and are more socially integrated. Wow. This is like magic, right? This is amazing, right? Research suggests that this habit inspires people to be more generous, kind, and helpful, which in turn strengthens relationships, including romantic relationships, and may even improve climate in workplaces. Wow. Wow. This is amazing. And this research was not done among Christians. So the the results and effects of this habit were seen among all kinds of people, not just Christians. So it's proven to be beneficial even for those who, who don't, no Christ, right? Uh, so what is this magic potion? What is this amazing medicine, this habit, that could produce so many positive effects in our life? Well, it is simply the, the habit of, of what? You may know. Gratitude. Well, who knew that, right? The habit of gratitude. Is it on the board somewhere? Yeah, the habit of gratitude, right? Uh, of being thankful. Um, it, is, it has been proven and is being proven more and more to have these, these incredible benefits. So we want to look this morning at what gratitude is and how we can develop this habit. Uh, as it turns out, it's not something you can just fake or pretend. Like, so, just, so just wanting to be grateful and, or just pretending you're grateful does not have these effects, right? Just saying you're grateful does not produce these results. You actually, actually have to be actually authentically grateful, and have authentic, genuine gratitude uh, internally for it to work. And, and as we will see in a minute, there's some real challenges to this. Uh, it is easier said than done. All right, easier said than done. That's actually my first point. It is easier said than done. Uh, but I, I believe that we will see that uh, Christians, well, well, the benefits are true for everybody, that Christians are uniquely suited to live lives full of gratitude. And in fact, it should really be one of the chief characteristics of our life if we uh, were truly saved. We should be extremely grateful, thankful people filled with uh, overflowing gratitude. Uh, So let's look at this. Uh, First off, it's easier said than done. Being thankful, having true, genuine, authentic gratitude is actually much easier said than done. Um, And and part of it is because we need to understand what gratitude is. And according to a couple authors, researchers, Edmund uh, Robert Emons and Michael McCullough, they've, they've uh, defined gratitude as essentially a two-step process. And uh, you want to hang on to these two steps because we're going to talk about this a lot through the sermon. Okay, the first is recognizing that one has obtained a positive outcome. Okay, recognizing that one has obtained a positive outcome. The second step is recognizing that there is an external source for this positive outcome. So in other words, uh, we recognize that something good, something positive has happened to us. We've been some way benefited or blessed. And we also recognize, that's the first step, the the second step is that we recognize the cause of this good thing has come from outside of myself. I I did not make it happen on my own. That sounds easy enough, right? Piece of cake. Just uh, good things have to happen to you, and you have to recognize that those good things uh, came from outside of you, from some outside source. Piece of cake, right? But as we look at this, uh, it will become, if you think about this, there's two huge obstacles that stand in the way of true gratitude. If we we wrap our heads around this, and if we're honest about how we view life, 
right? And the first obstacle uh, is that uh, gratitude is impossible if we don't experience good things. Okay, gratitude is impossible if, if we don't have the sense or recognize that, that there's good things, positive outcomes in our life. And the truth is many people live in very difficult circumstances where life is hard and they experience real suffering and hardship. Right? And maybe, maybe this is you, right? Uh, people deal with things like extreme poverty, with health issues, sometimes very serious life-threatening health issues, sometimes chronic long-term health issues. Uh, people deal with uh, uh, traumatic events in their life, uh, whether through abuse or assault or uh, other events that are perceived as a serious trauma, that they live under the weight of that, uh, some crisis or tragedy. These are part of normal life. Right? Most of us don't escape this always. Um, people live under the weight of abusive relationships, or if not abusive, at least toxic relationships, toxic work environments. Even in Christian, even in Christian organizations, right? Christian organizations are not exempt from uh, from being toxic, having these kind of difficult, toxic relationships, right? So, so the question is, how can a person be grateful if there are no positive outcomes? If you feel like you're like there's nothing good coming to you, right? If your the circumstances of your life are not positive. Right? Now, that's probably maybe not true for most of us, but it is, it is still a possibility. And for, for, for all of us, uh, we may not have a lifetime like that, but certainly we've all had really bad days. Have any, any of you ever had a really bad day? Right? Maybe you've read the book, Alexander and the Terrible, Ho- Terrible Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Have you ever had one of those? Right? I, maybe we have them often. And... Um, if you're experiencing one of those days, maybe not a lifetime, but a day of that, can you be grateful? What's well, really hard, in fact, it's impossible if you sense that everything today is bad. Everything is going wrong. Right? And so it, 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 it will cancel out gratitude. Right? Um, and, and we can't fake gratitude. We can't pretend so in Scripture it says rejoice always, right? Uh, and it's not, it's not a, it, we cannot just decide, well, I'm having a terrible bad day, nothing's going right, uh, my life is not working, but I'm just going to pretend I'm grateful. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. Now we can say we're thankful, and, uh, but, but actually that's not real gratitude. And it, it doesn't work. Uh, so, um, so what do we do, right? What do we do if... Uh, we have days like that. Now, the truth is most of us probably don't. Uh, most of us are probably quite blessed with health and material resources and blessings and, uh, and good things and good relationships. So the chances are that most of us uh, can't use that excuse, right? Uh, except for those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days we have, right? So, so for most of us, that's not going to be a major factor. But the second problem I think will be for, for most of us and the second problem is this. Remember, the second step is recognizing that there is an external source for this positive outcome. In other words, I didn't make this happen. It, it's, it's a gift. It's a blessing. It's something that came from outside of me, and I can't take credit for it. It's not something that I had anything to do with. Now, let me illustrate this. This last summer I was in the States and uh, in Colorado, and uh, the, the 
the hockey team, the Colorado Avalanche was our hockey team, and they made it to the Stanley Cup playoffs, and it was fun because I got to watch, uh, not at 2 o'clock in the morning, but actually watch live without getting up in the middle of the night the, the, the games. It was really fun. And, and uh, in the end, the Avalanche won. They won the championship. And at the end of the game, of course, they're all out there with the Stanley Cup holding it up and kissing it, and they are all thankful. Nobody's saying, well, I'm not thankful that we won. They were all very thankful. But what they were thankful for was not actually, by this definition, true gratitude, because nobody was out there saying, wow, I'm so grateful that the other team let us win. Right? That is not what they were saying. They were not saying, wow, we are so fortunate and we, we had this gift that the other team just kind of laid down and let us win. We are grateful. We have gratitude for that. No, they were saying things like, and we played hard. We, we worked hard. We practiced hard. We executed well the whole season. And this is the pinnacle of our own hard work and effort. Right? Uh, they weren't, uh, so in that sense, yes, they were thankful, but they, they weren't um, expressing gratitude. Because, yes, it was a good thing that came into their life, but it was not from outside of them. They were convinced, and it's probably true, it was a result of their own work and effort. Right? Their own, their own uh, within them, not outside. Right? Or, or take, for example, a hardworking employee who puts in lots of overtime, works extra hours. They're very successful. They, they actually produce good results for the company. Right? And, and they are a prized and cherished employee. And so at the end of the month, they get their paycheck. Uh, are they thankful? Probably. Thankful that they get to you know, have money and eat and pay their bills that month. But are they, are they filled with gratitude? In other words, do they have the sense that, well, I don't really deserve this? Do they go to their boss and say, wow, thank you so much. I don't deserve to get paid. Thank you for paying me. I feel so blessed. Well, no, of course not. Probably they're thinking... Man, this guy, my boss, should be super grateful for me because I am a gift to his company, right? And I'm sure he doesn't pay me near what I am worth, right? See, there's thankfulness, but there's not really gratitude because there's a sense that, no, I did this. I'm getting what I deserve, what I earned, right? And so that cancels out gratitude. You can be thankful, but you can't really possess this quality of gratitude because there's a sense, well, of course I got this good thing. I, I worked for it. I deserved it. It's the result of my own hands. I expect it. Right? And so there's no, uh, this magic formula of gratitude is not, is not evident in that kind of attitude. Um, uh, so, so, so there's a problem. Because in most affluent uh, Western countries, uh, we are really convinced that all good things happen to us as a result of our own efforts, right? And that's just, that's just inherent in a Western worldview that is deeply rooted in secular humanism. And secular humanism is the, uh, the belief, the conviction that we don't talk about, but we, it's, just, it's wired into us if we, if we grow up in Western cultures, that um, the good things, that, that uh, man is the solution to his problems, that's what secular humanism is. It's the idea that man uh, is the solution to his own problems. He needs to figure it out. And he's able to if he's given the right opportunities. Right? And so we grew up being, in very subtle ways, taught this. And so we're convinced that ultimately all good things come to us 
as a result of our own effort, as a result of our own work and performance. Now, in Asian cultures in the East, we see a lot more a sense that there's good luck, right? That you need good luck. You need chokti or you need merit, right? You have to somehow get things lined up in the right way through making merit that, that good flows to you from somewhere else. But, but even then, I think uh, even in, in Asian cultures, you see this sense that uh, I, I have to work really hard, and if I work really hard, I'll be successful, and I will receive, and I will receive, reap the benefits of my hard work and labor. Right. So, so this creates a problem because how can we cultivate gratitude? Uh, first of all, when sometimes life does not give us good things, and we feel maybe cheated and ripped off, and we feel that life is full of bad things, not good. And secondly, uh, how does it work when when, when those do th- those good things do come? And we're just convinced that it's, it's the result of our, our own effort and hard work. Well, this is where uh, Christians are uniquely suited, uh, uniquely geared for gratitude. Uh, and, and, and that is because, as, as we see uh, in what Paul writes here, that uh, for Paul, his gratitude is rooted in, in the gospel. We're going to talk about what that is, what the the gospel is, and why it it meets these uh, unique conditions for gratitude. Let's read again verses uh, 1 through 3. It's from Paul. He's writing this letter. He identifies himself as the author, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and our brother Timothy. So perhaps co-authored by Paul and Timothy. Uh, Timothy was certainly a right-hand man to to Paul, uh, and it seems that perhaps in this instance, uh, Timothy is helping write it. Uh, at least Paul shares the authorship with Timothy. And, and Paul's not writing his own ideas. He's not actually writing on the basis of scientific research, right? He's writing on the basis of the authority instilled in him by God as an apostle. Now, an apostle can mean uh, someone sent out to share the good news, but Paul uses it here uniquely of himself and the, and the other 12 apostles who were given... Uh, really the, the weight of, of authority to proclaim the gospel and the truth of God as God's spokesperson in a unique way. So the things that Paul writes here, uh, we give a different weight than what we read in scientific research, even though it can be proven, because it has the weight and authority of God's word uh, as one uh, uh, made an apostle by the very will of God and appointed to speak truth, uh, absolute truth that comes from God's mouth and God's voice and God's heart. He's writing this to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So he's writing this to the church at Colossae. This is not a church as we will see that he planted. Uh, He probably had never been to Colossae. Uh, But he knows these people and it's really an extension of his ministry through, as we will see, Epaphras who was one of uh, Paul's disciples who likely came to Christ when Paul was at Ephesus uh, he, uh, Epaphras was from Colossae and it seems that Paul ordained and appointed and sent Epaphras back home to share the gospel and he went and he had a, a very successful ministry there planting a church or maybe several churches uh, some think that he may have also planted churches in Laodicea and some other uh, villages in that region right? so that's who it's to it's to these, these saints, brothers in Christ the faithful ones in the church at Colossae and then he says, look, he says this, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 
Right? So Paul is all about thanksgiving. And this is not unique to this letter, but if you're familiar with the writings of Paul, you know that he, he always starts off his letters this way. This is a guy who is genuinely full of gratitude, and he's constantly giving thanks, uh, often when he prays for people. Right? So he, he prays not just to pray for them, but he prays with thanksgiving uh, for the good things that have come into their life. Uh, and these are good things that Paul knows came from God, not from themselves. So, so Paul is exercising gratitude here. And we see it as a very uh, a habit of his life, a common practice. He says, always when I pray, I'm always giving thanksgiving. Right? It, is a, it is a daily habit and practice of Paul. Uh, and he knew that the, the secret uh, for uh, gratitude was this thanksgiving. But, but he roots this thanksgiving uh, in true gratitude that's centered in the gospel, right? And so I would call it gospel gratitude, right? I almost called that the title here, gospel gratitude. I should have, right? Gospel gratitude, Thanks, a thankfulness that's rooted in the gospel. And, 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 and so what we want to look at is how this, this gratitude is first recognizing that when it's obtained a positive outcome, that's the first step in the definition, and that recognizing that this, uh, there's an external source for this positive outcome. Right? It's not like the world may try to conjure up, but it is the truest kind of, of gratitude because it's rooted in the gospel, uh, which is a gift from God and, and what he is doing in us and for us. Right? Uh, and, and, and Paul is thankful because, uh, first off, he has seen that uh, the gospel has produced three incredibly positive outcomes in the life of, of the Colossians. Right? So he names, actually, these outcomes, these positive results that have come about as a result of the gospel. And he names them here in verse 3. He says, We thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of, first, your faith in Christ Jesus, second, the love you have for all the saints, and third, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So let's take just a minute and, and unpack those. Um, and we're not going to go into great depth, but uh, but these are blessings. These are good benefits. These are positive outcomes that Paul identified in the Colossians as a result of the gospel. These are things being produced as a result of the gospel. Uh, and the first one is, is uh, faith in Christ. He says the gospel is producing you faith in Christ. Well, what, what, is, what is faith? Well, faith really involves a couple things. Uh, it first involves believing that something is true, Right? Uh, accepting something as a settled and certain fact. So in order for us to us believe in, in Christ, and that's the context, their, their, their faith is in Christ, not just faith for faith's sake, but faith in Christ. Faith in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one. Uh, and, and so the facts that they believe about Jesus are first of all relate to who he is. That he was not just an average everyday human being. He was sent from God as God's son, uh, who came from heaven to earth and took on human flesh. Right? So he's divine, but he's also human. Okay, that's a big thing, and Paul doesn't talk about that here, but it's implied, it's, it's implied in this statement, your faith in Christ Jesus, the, the Messiah, the, the one who had been spoken of from long ages past in the Old Testament as the anointed and special Son of God who would come. And secondly, it's faith in what Jesus did, what he accomplished. Uh, that he did come to earth, that he did die, that he uh, really gave up his life, that he really lived as a real person on earth, 
that he really went to the cross and died, and that he really did rise from the dead, uh, physically, bodily, not just in spirit, but he really rose again. Right? So those are the basic facts, those are, and that's really what's at the heart and content of the gospel. The gospel is the good news about what, who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that he went to the cross, he took our sins, he paid the penalty because uh, of our sins, and he rose again victorious. Right? Uh, now, a lot of people think that comprises faith. And they think, if I believe in those facts, I have faith. Now, we'll see in a minute, this is, this is a big deal, and it is a gift, because it is this faith that appropriates or, or brings to us the salvation of God. Right? Jesus accomplished this work on the cross, but the way we take, take possession of it is through our faith. So this is a, this is a super positive outcome. Like, like the ultimate outcome, salvation, or eternal salvation. You can't get a more positive outcome than this. Right? And it comes to us because of faith. And a lot of people think, well, I believe in those facts. I've accepted those facts. I believe Jesus lived. I believe he died. I believe he rose again. Good. Uh, I have faith. But that is not actually the full and complete picture of faith. It's only the first step. And if you stop there, you don't actually have saving faith. So what what is necessary beyond that, beyond just accepting the facts? Well, the second thing that's required is a a further step of commitment. What do I mean by that? Well, you must commit your life uh, to a different path as a result of accepting these facts. Let's use an illustration to to explain this. Imagine, you know, two weeks ago it it flooded here in Chiang Mai. Anybody lived through the flood? Anybody's house get flooded? Well, there's something to be thankful for, right? Uh, that was a good thing that your house did not get flooded. But imagine, you know, this flood, water everywhere, and you're driving your car on a road, and you see a sign that says, Road Flooded Ahead, right? And, and I don't know if you've seen, like, the YouTube videos of these people who, I mean, they, they show videos of this. There's the sign, there's the flood, there's the water. And what do they do? They keep driving, right? They keep driving on into the flood, into the water. Their car gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Pretty soon they're car's being washed downstream, and it's like, bye-bye, right? What what is wrong with these people, right? What is wrong with these people? Is it that they can't read, right? Or that they look at the road underwater ahead of them and deny the facts that the road is flooded? No. These are people who believe, they read the sign, they believe the facts, they would say to themselves, yes, the fact is the road is flooded, right? The problem is, though, they don't really... They don't really uh, take the next step of, of considering the meaning of the facts, right? And the implications, the outcomes, like the results and consequences of, of these facts. And they think to themselves, so, so, yeah, sure, the road's flooded, but that's not a problem for me. I've got a four-wheel drive, right? Or my, my, my car subs, doubles as a boat or something. I don't know what they're thinking. Are they thinking, well, I can drive through it, right? Or they're thinking, I'm late. I've got to get to work. I'm not going to let a little flood keep me from, you know, where I need to go. And so even though they believe the facts, they don't, they don't commit themselves to a different course of action. They just keep plunging right ahead into the flood, and eventually their car gets swept away, and, and perhaps they die, right? This happens sometimes. People actually die because of their stupidity, right? Uh, but, but that's not, see, that's not faith. It might be belief, it's not faith. 
Faith involves a commitment to a different path. So a person who has faith comes to that same sign, the same flooded road, and they consider what it means. They consider the consequences, the outcomes, and they go, you know, if I drive into this water, uh, I'm, I'm convinced that the warning here is that it's a danger and I should not proceed. I need to stop. I need to turn around, and I need to start driving my car in a different direction. I need to find another route or another path, right? And when they do that, when they stop and turn their car around and start driving in a different direction, at that point they have committed themselves to a different path, right? It's not just theoretical. No, they're actually doing something different, and they have committed their, their course to a different path. Uh, that takes them out of harm's way. Well, this is true of faith in Christ. It is not just the belief, some information, and some facts that Jesus died and rose again. If it stops there, you do not have saving faith. You must come to a, a place of commitment to Jesus where you recognize the consequences of what it means. That if I keep charging full ahead with my life and I don't commit myself to, to the work of Christ to deliver me from my sin... I am going to plunge into the very depths of hell. Right? The consequences for my life are eternal. Therefore, I must change direction and commit myself to a different course, a different path where I am following Jesus and where I am tr- trusting with the full weight of my soul, my eternal soul, in his care. Right? That's faith uh, that he's talking about here. And, and this kind of faith cannot help but change you. Because it is a commitment to a different way of life, uh, a different value, a different uh, way of of understanding that you are saved, that you are going to make it through the floodwaters of God's wrath and judgment. And and this is a good outcome. The, The ability to have this level of faith is ultimately a gift of God that's produced through a right understanding of the gospel. We don't generate this faith in ourselves this faith comes when we understand not only the facts, but we have clear insight into its meaning that our, our life is in the balance, right? And our only hope is to place our life in Jesus' hands and, and in what he did for us on the cross. That's faith. Second thing uh, that is, is a benefit or an outworking, a positive outcome of the gospel is our love for each other. He says, he says, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. One of the visible signs or indications that we have true saving faith, right, that we've made this commitment to a different path following Christ and trusting, really trusting him, is that we will all of a sudden be a, a people who love like, uh, like we never did before. Uh, love unlike the world is capable of. And this love is, is most evident and visible among uh, the fellowship of believers. He calls us saints. It means those who have been made holy and set apart by the finished work of Christ. Right? Um, if you are in Christ, you are, you are a saint. I know some churches like want to identify and label certain people as saints and others as not saints, I guess losers, right? <laughs> or something, I don't know. But no, we are all saints. We have been made holy in Christ. And one of the fruits of this is that we will have a new sense of uh, love for each other. And it's important to understand that this love is not a feeling, but it is demonstrated in action. 
Right? So when, when God said he loved the world, he didn't say God so loved the world so much that he sent a card, a nice Hallmark card, expressing his feelings and sentiments for us. Right? No. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sent Jesus into the, into the world to die on the cross and take our sin. Right? Love is action. Uh, it is the self-sacrifice love of Christ who gave himself. And, and so this is what we, how we love each other. Right? We, we have this uh, same sense of self-sacrifice, of personal interest. And we care for each other. Um, we take care of each other. Uh, we look out for each other. And this is evident in things like serving, giving, helping, and encouraging. Um, uh, I, I believe all that begins with listening to each other and really understanding what each other need. You know, a lot of times we want to serve and help people before we really know what they need. Uh, here's a clue. Listen first. Try to understand what they really need. And then think how you can serve and care for them. Right? Um, I'm not going to go into this a lot because we just went through 1 John, and 1 John talks about this over and over again. Like, right, if you're not loving each other, how can you, how can you know that you are saved? Right? But it's an amazing gift that God generates for those who are truly believers. God generates this heart for each other. And what a gift. Right? What a gift to live in a community where we are loved. Right? That is probably the ultimate and highest outcome and good that we could have in our life. To be people who experience love and care and concern from others and in turn uh, give that love and concern and care outwardly to, to those around us. Uh, the third outcome, third positive outcome, so we have uh, faith in Christ, love for the saints, and thirdly, uh, a future hope. He says, uh, he says in verse 5, because of the hope laid up, laid up for you in heaven. Uh, now, this hope is not just an empty wish, right? Like I wish uh, it, would, it would turn colder and the high tomorrow would be 50 degrees and it would snow the day after that, right? That's a wish. Uh, it's not going to happen, right? Uh, most likely. Um, that's not what he's talking about here. But he's talking about a certain a certainty and a confidence based on the promises of God. That's what biblical hope is. A certainty and confidence based on not what we want, but based on the, the spoken, declared promises of God. Right? And here, he, uh, the, the language is really of the thing hoped for. It's a hope laid up for in heaven, laid up for us in heaven, treasured there, kept there. Right? And it's really talking about the thing that we hope for. Well, what do we hope for in our eternal future? Uh, well, we hope for a life with God in heaven and a place of beauty and perfection and ultimate, all-out, 100% goodness. Right? We hope for a life of eternal joy, an, end, an ending life with Christ, sharing life with Him. We hope for a word, uh, uh, the reward of resurrection life and all its benefits. Right? Uh, the greatest of which is experiencing the glory and majesty and beauty of God. That's a pretty cool future, right? And that's our hope, right? That is what we look forward to. We have this, this, this hope that uh, this life is just the beginning. And when we transition from this life to the next, we enter, enter into an amazing life of, 
of blessed goodness. Like the ultimate positive outcome you can imagine. And, and even more. Even more than we can imagine. Um, and, and when this hope is realized, when we really come to, to grips and understand what, what we have waiting for us, what, what's ahead of us, uh, it should cause us to redirect what we invest our lives in uh, and what we live for. Right? We should, uh, we should no longer be living for the hope of material blessing and temporary success in this world. Right? Because we know that it doesn't last. Right? So I don't have to worry about accumulating wealth and treasures here. Instead, we are investing our lives and living for eternal rewards and joys laid up in heaven where uh, Jesus says uh, the moth and rust will not destroy and the thieves won't come in and steal. Right? We should be living for those things. So this hope gives us uh, what, what could be called delayed gratification. You know what delayed gratification is? This is what we teach our kids, right? You give your kids his allowance money and you say to them something like, now you can spend all this this week on candy, but if you could save it up and after several weeks and months of saving, maybe you could buy something nicer. Like that new toy you want, that Lego set, that new iPhone 14. <laughs> that may take up more than a few months, but um, you, know, you can save up. You can, you can get something bigger and better if you put off the immediate joys of a candy bar today, right? And, of course, what does the kid do? Well, they go out and buy the candy bar, right? Because they, they don't have the capacity to delay that gratification. They want it now, right? And it takes experience. And, unfortunately, I know 40-year-olds who still haven't figured this one out, right? They're still struggling with that one, right? And, unfortunately, that's, that's probably true for too many Christians, Right, who are still living too much for the immediate gratification of today and have lost sight of the long-term rewards of heaven. Right? Uh, we should be living a life where we are embracing a certain kind of pain and suffering now, not just for the sake of suffering, but because we know there is a greater joy and reward in our eternal hope that is laid up for us in heaven. Right. So these are the, the three... Uh, Outcomes, positive outcomes that Paul identifies as a result of the gospel. And they are powerful things that, that should uh, dominate our thinking, right? We, we have some amazing good things in our life. And what's cool is these things are not dependent on our outward circumstances. So if you have a super horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day and everything goes wrong, does it change the gospel, right? Does it change your faith in Christ that gives you eternal salvation, no, right? You can be a martyr. You can be stoned to death. And uh, it does not affect uh, the faith you have in Christ. It should not, right? That's, that's a blessing and a goodness that's come into your life. It does not affect our love for the brothers, or it should not, right? Uh, that love we have and receive back and forth should not be dependent on the stock market or our outward circumstances or if there was rain today, that wrecked our picnic or not, right? Or our health, right? Or whatever, right? Those things are unchanging. They're unaffected by circumstances. And certainly our eternal hope, the reward we have in, in heaven, is in no way affected by any of our circumstances here on earth now, right? It, it has no bearing on it. You can be the poorest, poorest, poor here and now who's barely able to eat, 
But our hope is that you will have, and, and our confidence is that you will ha- eat at the wedding supper of the Lamb in, in abundance, right? In overwhelming abundance, right? So those are the positive outcomes that come into our life through the gospel that we are to experience every day. Um, second thing we need to look at, though, is uh, do these things come from ourselves or are they the result of, of some external source, <laughs> right? Well, the very nature of the gospel, the very nature of the gospel, it is that it is nothing we do. It is nothing we do, right? We can claim no credit for anything that good that comes to us through Christ and through the gospel, right? Notice what he says in verse 5. He says, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, right? You didn't find it. It came to you. As indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Okay, this, this gospel, it is producing fruit. You're not making the fruit. It is increasing. You are not making it increase. As it also does among you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. This is amazing. The very heart and center of the gospel it is, is that it is a gift of grace. Right? It is the grace of God in truth. And, and grace, by definition, is, is getting what you don't deserve. Right? It's getting something you did not earn and that you do not deserve. Grace, by nature, has to come from outside of us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Right? It is a gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. Right? It is absolutely external to us. The gospel gratitude is rooted in the understanding that there is nothing we can do to save ourselves or help ourselves uh, or to bring about any ultimate good in our lives. Right? These are absolutely gifts of God's grace. Uh, Because the gospel tells us that we are sinners under the curse of sin and the wrath of God. We have failed God. We have not loved him with our whole heart and soul. We have broken his laws. We have not loved each other. And the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. And and there's nothing in our power to reverse that death sentence. All the good works in the world will not make us alive. Uh, We cannot do it. Um, we, we are, it's, Paul says in, in Romans 8, he says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. It, indeed, it cannot. So not only do we not deserve it, but we're actually, we are actually enemies of God. We are hostile to him. And if we deserve anything, it's actually God's wrath and judgment, not goodness. But, uh, but God has not done that for us, right? Instead... God so loved the world, right? We can't do anything, but God has taken the initiative and God has done incredible things for us. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 puts it this way. He says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. Okay, that's, 
That's not good news for us, right? But notice what the next verse is. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. You see, it's nothing we have done. It is, it is, it is from the very heart and love of God that he has saved us through Christ. Uh, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were his enemies, even when we were hostile to him, he loved us. Right? So did, did this positive outcome come from an external source? <laughs> wow, yes. Yes, right? It, we had nothing to do with it. In fact, not only that, but he goes on to say, Paul, Paul says here that not only that, but, but even the messengers of truth are a gift of God, right? You didn't go out searching for this on your own, right? You didn't, uh, you didn't invent this on your own. You didn't ascend to the heavens and discover God's wisdom and his plan on your own. God sent messengers to you, right? So in verse 5 again, he says, of this you have heard. Well, where did you hear it from? Well, from those who brought the word of the truth, the gospel to you, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, right? just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Right? Not only does God give us the kindness of saving us, but he also gives us the kindness, which is an external thing, of sending us messengers to, to tell us the good news. Uh, and what a gift, right? What a gift. First, uh, in these early witnesses who wrote it down in Scripture, right? we didn't write this, we didn't make this up. It, it was given to us as a gift, this witness. And then those who have preached it to us faithfully. Uh, do you remember and can you, can you give thanks for the person who shared Christ with you or the people? That's a gift, right? That's from outside of you. Right? They share with you. And maybe you weren't very nice at the time. <laughs> maybe you told them to just like shove off in other more colorful language. Right? But they shared with you the message. Uh, not only that, but we also have been given the gift of understanding. He says here that, that uh, the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. And it's important for us to realize that we didn't come up with this in understanding based on our intelligence or brilliance. Right? Even the understanding is a gift of God. Right? Um, and we don't have time to talk about it, but it's a work of the Spirit who uh, regenerates our thinking and turns the light switch on. Okay, the Bible says that we were walking in darkness, but it was the Holy Spirit that turned the lights on so that we could see and understand and make sense of it all. That comes from outside of us. Okay? We didn't understand the gospel because we're so smart. It is a gift of God through the regenerating work of His Spirit. Right? So we see in the end, it is ultimately uh, all of grace. Right? It is all of grace. It is all of God's doing. So we ask this question, do we recognize that this positive outcome, this, these good things that have come into our life come from an external source? Well, the gospel of grace tells us absolutely, 100%. It comes from far outside of us by the very hand of God. 
Um, that's what, what grace is. Right? So therefore, as Christians, we should be absolutely the most grateful, gratitude-filled people in the world. So let me ask in closing just a, a probing question, and I'm not going to judge you, but I want you to judge yourself for a minute. Are you that grateful? Is your life overflowing with gratitude? Can you honestly say like Paul, every time I pray, I thank God with abundant thanksgiving for his gospel? Well, I'll tell you, I'll confess my own, I do not. Right? I do not. I am not always that thankful. And, and the reality is that we can miss gratitude if we take for granted all these incredible gifts. If we, if we fail to take the time daily to reflect on the amazing blessings and treasures we have in the gospel. And this is how it oftentimes works. Uh, we, we wake up in the morning and, and we just know it's going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And we feel depressed and we feel angry and we feel cheated. And we feel like God's not paying attention to me. And certainly my spouse isn't paying attention to me. And my kids aren't paying attention to me. And nobody appreciates me. Right? And we're depressed. And, and things do go badly. Like everything goes wrong. We say, see, God just doesn't care about me. Right? We don't have enough money. And our health is not good. And we ache. And <laughs> things don't work. Right? And we, uh, we are focused on those externals. We are focused on our circumstances. And we have forgotten the reality that we are blessed in spite of those things. Right? That we, we live in abundant blessing in spite of our circumstances. Right? How different our day would be if we wake up in the morning and we say, yeah, it's probably going to be a bad day. I've got hard meetings. I have hard conversations. I'm in hard relationships. I work in a toxic place. Um, I don't feel well. But... Let me reflect on what God has done for me. I have faith in Christ. And through that, I have eternal salvation. My sins have been washed away. And I, am, I stand before God blameless and holy. And because of that, I can love people who, who are toxic. I can love people who hate me. I, have loved, I can love people who it's hard to love. Because I have the power full outworking of this love of Christ that's changing my heart and making me a different kind of person that I can serve and I can listen and I can understand others. Right? And, and I have this hope. Like no matter how bad things are for me today, I have this amazing hope laid up for me in heaven that one day my life is going to be incredibly different. I will have no more horrible days. Because my life will be full of every uh, imaginable kind of goodness and blessing as I live in the very presence and glory of God for all eternity. Imagine how that would change our life, right? If we would take the time to do that. And Paul models that here in three simple ways. First, he, uh, he reflects on and understands the impact that the gospel is making uh, in his life and in those around him. He's thankful for the Colossians and for the impact of the gospel in their life. Right? Are, you, uh, are you being grateful 
for the impact that the gospel is having in your life and those around you, your family, your children, your, your co-workers. Even those co-workers who are annoying. But you see, yeah, but they're a brother in Christ. And I can be grateful for the work of the gospel in their life. Are you grateful for those preaching the good news and daily giving thanks for them? Right? It's not only about your ministry being thankful of how the gospel is having effect and fruit in your life and in your ministry, but Paul is thankful for the work of the gospel all around the world, even in places he didn't go. He was thankful for its impact and its spread and its growth. Um, you may hear people who are being super successful and they're having revival and, and they're having great effects. And you say, well, there must be something wrong with it because they're not in my camp. Right? They're... They're, they're liberals. They're this. They're that. Right? Or do we give thanks for the work of the gospel through those messengers? Are we thankful for those preaching the good news? Even if we don't always agree with them. Thirdly, Paul was thankful um, uh, for the depths of love and goodness that was evident in God's the extent of his grace. Right? Right? That it's all of God and not of themselves. Right? Uh, do you, do, you, do you, are you truly grateful for the incredible impact of the gospel? Okay. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you just in awe of really uh, your goodness as we survey uh, the wonders of the cross and the wonders of the gospel. And yet, Lord, we have to confess and admit that oftentimes we are not grateful. We are not a people filled with gratitude. Lord, forgive us. And Lord, help us to be careful to confess our, our ingratitude when we look only at, at the circumstances around us and we, we lose sight of the incredible riches we have in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to focus on these things and to see them, and to daily count our blessings, to daily take stock of what we have in Christ. And Lord, may we truly be uh, people full of gratitude. And we do believe it will have a very positive benefits in our life. Not the least of which is that we will become, like Paul, people who continually are pouring out thanksgiving and praise and worship to you. And so, Lord, help us now as we do that, even now. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.